AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, including yours. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And up next, a story from California about love, loss, and coming to terms with grief. Here's David LaBelle with his story. My name is David LaBelle. I'm uh, primarily a teacher and a photographer and have been for the last 50 years. I started in high school. When I was a junior in high school, I was probably the kid most likely to end up in prison. In fact, I think some kids probably wrote that in a yearbook for me. Because I, I, I came from a, a difficult family, and I wasn't a good student, and I hated school. And so, you know, I, I, I stayed away from school. I ditched school as much as I could. <laughs> and then eventually they caught me, a truant officer caught me, I think, as a junior, and then I had to... I had to go to school, had to go to night school in order to even graduate from high school. When I, I used to walk to the halls of the high school when I was a junior, and I would see these photographs on the walls, and I thought, boy, that's what I'd like to do. And then eventually, 
when they asked, when they took me, the truant officer took me to school and they asked me, you know, how do we keep you in school? I said, well, I'd like to take photography. I think that would really be something that would center me. And he said, you can't do it, basically. He said, you know, there's a, there's a waiting list of 300 kids. You have to be a good student and you're not. And uh, so we're not going to let you in. And then what I'd learned 40 years later, when I was talking to my high school photographer, my high school photo teacher one night, he said, you know, had it not been for your mother, you know, you would have never been in that photo class. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, your mother came, came to me by night and begged me to let you in the photography class because she was so worried about you, worried that you were really going down the wrong path and that you were going to be in trouble. So I, you know, I, I mean, that's very humbling when you realize that because it did change my life. And I ended up being pretty good in photography. And so she, she's the one that believed in me. She's the one that certainly was my advocate many times, had it not been for her. And, and I'll give one quick, one quick example. When I was a senior, you know, we didn't have any money. I was a senior, you had to have a $10 craft card to be able to take the photo class. And I didn't have $10. My uh, mother went to my dad and she asked him, it, you know, said that she needed the $10. And he kind of reacted bad, like, what do you need $10 for? What are you going to, I mean, what's he going to do with photography anyway? What's, what's that going to do in his life? And so she advocated for me and said, you know, I, I think that he is going to do something. I think this is something that, that he, there's going to be a lot of potential. So she, again, she, she stood up for me. She, I mean, basically she was my matrix. I mean, people need that in their life. You know, in every family, there's usually there's usually one pillar, and sometimes it's the mother, sometimes it's the father. If you're really blessed, it could be both of them. My father, bless his heart, tried to do well, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a great father. He struggled with a lot of things. My mother was, when she was in high school, she met my father. And my father was a handsome guy, rode a motorcycle, and I get whatever it was, there was an attraction. <laughs> so she got married. and and then she had five children. That became her life, and it was a burden. I mean, it was, it was a financial burden, it was an emotional burden. My mother was, I think, always sad, always a dreamer, wishing that we had a better house, that she had a better kitchen, that we had more money, that, we, that there was more stability in the family. She always, she always dreamed that, and I think she just pretty much lived her life in pain, which always was painful to me. You know, when she went through high school, she could type very fast, probably had a great career in something, and then married the dreamer, my dad, who, <laughs> so it kind of came to a screeching halt. But she was always, a, the only thing I remember about her more than anything is, is you know, she would read to me a lot growing up. Even when I was 15, I would, we would drive and she would read, read books to me. You know, read The Wind and the Willows, read, you know, Where the Red Fern Grows. She's the only one that really played baseball with me. I mean, she would pitch to me out there in the, on the rocky field, and I wanted to be a baseball player, so she would get out there and pitch to me. And, you know, I mean, we did a lot of things together. I wish I was kinder to her. I, I'm trying to think. I was 17. A friend of mine named Randy Miller, he dared me one day to run away to go to Missouri. I took the dare. So I took my mother's car, which was a Plymouth Station wagon, and we headed out, I had $2 with me. We headed out from Missouri on a Saturday, and we made it. It was 
I siphoned gas, we had people help us. I mean, it's an, that is in itself is a credible story. Well, the long story short is it broke my mother's heart. And I didn't even realize until real, in the last year or two how devastating that must have been for her because I was closer to her than probably anybody else. Not that she wasn't close to my brothers and sisters, she was, she was loving and she caring, but we had a special relationship. I, I just, the one person that I felt like I could talk to and trust and, and so when I still basically stole her car, she's afraid for my life, she doesn't know what's gonna happen to me and we're driving across in the middle of winter. And then I remember when I, we finally got home, we were gone about two weeks, we finally got home the look on her face haunts me to this day. It was a combination of, of relief, of contempt for what I did, of anger, but above all, there was just disappointment. I disappointed her, and that I wish they just would have beat me with a stick rather than, it was so disappointing to look at her eyes. But she, one thing about her is that she saw, yeah, I was pretty reckless and wild, but she, but she knew that I had a good heart. And so she, I mean, she, I mean, she was my comfort. And so losing her as a high school senior was, uh, was pretty tough. And it's not something that you ever forget. And it's something that forever shapes who you are and how you interact with others. And you're listening to David LaBelle tell the story of his mom. And my goodness, how he must have felt bringing that car home. And we've all been there, disappointed our parents or loved ones. And you don't need to get yelled at. You've already beaten yourself up enough. But what a feeling that is. When we come back, more of the story of David LaBelle and his mom here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Our American Stories and David LaBelle's story. When we last left off, David was telling us about his mother, a woman with a lot of sadness in her life, but whom he truly loved. He also mentioned how he wished he was kinder to her, because she passed away young when David was a mere senior in high school in a terrible flood. Let's continue with the story. It had been raining a lot. Ventura County had a lot of rain, and so much so that my mother and I had a conversation we read in the newspaper about eight Boy Scouts who died while trying to cross the river on a, a giant caterpillar. And we said, guy, what, what if it got that bad here? What would we do, you know? And within five days, the same that happened to us. In five days, the creeks were, it kept swell, you know, swelling. And uh, on this particular night, it was, uh, it was Friday night. The creek was, it was so deep and so fast. And it was tearing up houses and tearing up all kind of stuff. Well, that. That night, about you know, 10 or 11 o'clock, my dad came in, and uh, they, they went to bed. And then about 5 in the morning, my brother wakes us up, and he says, look outside. It was just getting daylight, and the cars were moving, and there was water all around the house. Everything was starting to move. He couldn't stop it. My dad had a power wagon, and all of a sudden, it's going down the, 
river and eventually we were able to get everybody on top of the roof of the house and I was still inside trying to call flood control, trying to call anybody to get us help. And actually I was on the phone with a friend and she said, are you all right? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I said, we're in a really desperate situation here. And right then the back door broke open and all the water came through and I, and I went out with it and, uh, and was able to get pulled on the roof. And, and we were on that roof for, I don't know, four or five hours. It's a freezing rain. I mean, it's probably 33 degrees. It's just rain is beating you and it's ice and we're frozen and it's cold. And all you, you have five hours to think about what the end of your life's gonna be. It's not like, wow, I almost hit the curb and boy, I saw my life. No, I, hadn't, I saw my life flash for me in over hours and prayed to God that I would be saved, that we'd all be saved. You know, bargaining, doing anything to try, because you know you're gonna die. And it's like that, you get this terrible, cottony feeling in your mouth because you know this is the end. I mean, there just was not a way out of it. And I'm pretty good at looking for ways out of things. There wasn't a way out of it. So we waited and waited, and then eventually we knew the house was going to break up and we were all going to get chucked in the river, and there's no way you could swim in that. There's nobody could swim in that. So I, I kept pacing the roof and telling, trying to tell my family, I said, man, you know, when this thing, when this roof breaks, it's going to go toward the main current, and then it's going to bounce off, and it's going to go to shallower water for a couple of minutes here. And when that happens, we have to jump as far towards the hills as we can. That's the only chance we're going to have. So eventually we heard the walls crash and everybody was like, oh my gosh, here we go. The roof starts down the river. And it did just as I had predicted because I, I watched sticks in the creek all my life. I jumped as far out as I could and I actually, there, you couldn't see it, but there was gravel under the water. I hit gravel and I was able to stand up. And I, and I looked back and nobody else had jumped. And here comes the, here goes the roof down the river. I mean, there's no way they're gonna survive this. And so I'm helpless to watch this. And then a big sycamore tree comes rolling down and crashes into the thing and knocks everybody off. And people are hanging onto the tree. Part of the roof pins my sister against the tree. My mother tries to get to her. She's like hanging onto the tree, tries to get to my sister. My brother tries to get to my sister to free her. They eventually pulled a piece of the, of the wall away from her enough, and she passed out, basically. And my brother grabbed her, and my mother lost her hold, and so my last image is watching my mother, you know, sitting backwards, slapping the water and screaming, and that's where she disappeared. That's a really hard last image, you know, for anybody, particularly somebody who was, who, you know, who you loved that much. We never found her. We looked, and then about it might have been five or six years or eight years after the fact. A car rolled over the side of the hill uh, up the Arnez grade, which is uh, about two or three miles from our house. And when it, rolled, rolled, when it rolled over, it unearthed a skeleton. And the skeleton was, you know, only a few feet from the highway, which means either someone was thrown out of a car, somebody, they don't know what, why that skeleton was there. And so for a while it was presumed that that skeleton was the skeleton of my mother. And if that, if that was the case, which was really troubling, it meant that she survived the water and somehow had climbed that 75 or 100 feet up the side of this hill and almost made it to the highway before she died. That could have happened. So I got to thinking about that over and over and like, oh my, what? What if that's her? What if that's what happened? The uh, 
the coroner called my dad and I and they asked us would we come there to try and take DNA samples. So after the test, they, they just said the tests are inconclusive and the coroner said, I, I don't believe that's her. But from that, I thought, okay, what if she did survive? It's possible. What if she did climb up that hill? What if she was so beaten and stripped and disoriented that she didn't know what she was doing. And what if somebody, you know, she could have amnesia. What if somebody picked her up and helped her? She didn't know who she was at this point. And so that really, that became a very remote possibility. And I, I know it's remote. As remote as that is, that possibility gives you something to kind of, to kind of build on. And so from that point on, after I was given the news, I started putting a story together. And I realized through the course of writing it, and over 25 years writing it off and on, that something really incredible happens. Is that when you're working on a story, particularly when you get into the fiction part of it, as long as you're working on the story, those characters are real and they're alive. And it was when I finished the story that it really got me. I finished the story on Christmas Day and I was working out of Starbucks on this upper, they had this kind of a balcony I was working out of and was there a lot in Kent, Kent, Ohio. When I finished writing that on Christmas Day, I sat there and just wept because it's, it, really, it really struck me then that this is fiction. She's not alive. This is, I made this up. But until then, I, you sort of, you're kind of living on false hope. And, and I know, it's like mentally you know that. You, you know that the chances of her being gone are, are great and that she's not alive, but that's the, uh, that's the miracle of fiction when you write it, is that those people can live forever. You know, I worked in a program in Ohio. It's called uh, the Athens Photo Project. And what we do is we use photography and the arts to really to kind of help stabilize people, you know, to help them get over their, their stories and one of the things you learn about that, you know, and when you work with these group, this group, is that you would tell them, you know, you can change your story. Just because you're a drug addict doesn't mean you have to be a drug addict. Just because you were abused as a child doesn't mean you have to live that abuse. You can change your story. And you think about it, that's what I'm doing. Is I'm, I'm changing my story. I'm changing the ending of what I think happened to what I wish could happen. A, a, an ending that I can live with, and I, that, that I can have peace with, you know, instead of always having to live in the past. I don't always have to be the, the suffering child. I don't always have to be the, you know, as my wife says, the kid with no lunch money. I, I, I don't always have to be those things. So just as those, you know, in mental health recovery, how we use photography and the arts for them to change their story and to, to kind of stabilize them and balance their lives. And I've been able to do the same thing. But in self-therapy, you know, I, I didn't go to a therapist. You know, writing and my photography was therapy. All that is what makes me who I am today. And a special thanks to Monty on the production of that piece, and a special thanks to David LaBelle. His book, Bridges and Angels, The Story of Ruth. Get it on Amazon.com or The Usual Suspects. And there's so much in this story that most of us can relate to. And my goodness, that last image, seeing his mother 
slapping and screaming in the raging flood and never seeing her again, well, that's not something that happens to most of us. You can change your story. That's what David LaBelle closed with. I don't have to always be the suffering child. I don't have to always be the kid without money. David LaBelle's story, his grief story, and how he rebounded here on Our American Stories. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.